Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? Bonjourno. DiGiorno. Oh, it's not delivery. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's hello. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> it sounds funny when you put it like that. Uh, you say goodbye. I say DiGiorno. Um, so, Dan. Mm. Yeah. How are you doing? <laughs> Tired. Tired? That is uncharacteristic of you. I haven't opened a show with saying I'm tired in, like, two months. I don't think that is true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but, like, something like that. There's been a few where I haven't said it. Yeah, I'm sure there's one or two that we could find where you haven't immediately complained that you were tired. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it just goes to show. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's on brand. I want to I wanna hold up my end of the bargain for the mm-hmm. audience. Yes. And uh, let them know that I'm very tired. And then uh, watching this movie made me more tired. Oh, ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> sorry, but... Um, Not sorry? The third, act of, the, the third act of this movie, it was, you know, there was a lot of Danny Elfman and nobody was talking. And then there was a lot of repetition. And then, you know, I, it's just my, my eyes got really heavy. I, I think you're forgetting the very small models. Um <laughs> Of which there were a few, um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if necessarily the first act or the third act are necessarily my favorite parts of this movie. Uh, I would, I would say oh, that got, you have a favorite part. I, w- I would say that the the middle section, what you might call the second act, is is pretty strong in this. Mm. Mm. Disagree. I mean, they move quicker because they have stuff to do. Uh, so there's that, but mm-hmm. you know. Uh yes, expediency the the uh the thing that you look for most in a movie. Uh yeah, I don't I don't I don't I kind of want to decipher your your um Batman hatred. Uh, is no, it specifically really Batman, or is it specifically this movie, or is it any Batman movie, or is it all Batman movies? All right, all right. So you know, I after I watched the movie, um. I came in here and I was I was reading some Wikipedia and I I just popped it up and I was like, man, I really need to read how they dug themselves out of the hole with this movie because it was so bad. Like, how did they keep making more of these movies? And I scrolled down and it's like, <laughs> oh man, it was a massive critical success and the people uh, loved it and it made tons of money and broke records. And it's like, you know what? I guess it was 1989 and there was stuff and, you know, Jack Nicholson was really doing a thing here. Um, but when I watch this movie now, uh, you know, we, we've come so far, uh, as a society with regards cinema that, uh, it's just like, it, this movie looks to me like it was made out of popsicle sticks and Elmer's glue. Um, <laughs> so I, I, uh, uh, to, to quote a, a Batman series alum from later in the series, uh, Mr. Tommy Lee Jones, I cannot sanction this buffoonery because it is just... It's just silly, and I, I I I can't I can't get a I can't get a grasp on it. Like, it doesn't lean too, too it doesn't lean enough into a silliness place for me to enjoy it. The seriousness is is dumb. 
Um, I, I no longer find the Art Deco design of this uh, city charming. I just find it to be, uh, you know, 110% Tim Burton, and I, I, I don't need any more of that in my life. And, um, you know, the the bits that I, I do like, uh, you know, I like the prints. I like when it leans heavily into the, the 80s-ness of it. Um, See, that that is weird, because I, 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 <laughs> I don't like the prints stuff at all. It really throws me out of it. Mm. See, I feel like if it was, if it felt like it was more of a time period. Well, I mean, there's like eight time periods here. There's like the 1930s. There's the 80s. There's the Tim Burton time period where he's his own time period. He's his own universe and time period in my brain. And then you know you got the clothing uh, and then the hair and stuff. And it's all it's all over the place. But um, you know that 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 last little shred of uh uh sort of nostalgia i have for some of the 80s-ness of it with the you know the big double-breasted suits and weird outfits and stuff i i'm into that but it's it's very overshadowed by everything else uh so i don't hate it but there's just a lot that like uh everything that came after this has rendered this movie less watchable for me Mm. what are your thoughts on the matter well i i I guess i can i'm more uh capable of putting it in the slot of the time period that it was in the era uh, and judging against that um because you know i was a kid during this time period so did you did you see this new i mean it was 1989 so you would have been very very little i i don't believe i saw this in theaters because i believe it was considered to be too adult um mm-hmm. but i know i saw it on TV and home video and stuff after that. And of course, uh, you had your Batman, the animated series, um, which, uh, took its cues from these Tim Burton movies. It's weird art deco style and other things, uh, music stylings by a different composer, but styled after what Danny Elfman was doing here, etc. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I think the first one that I saw in theaters, of the Batman movies was Batman Forever, uh, which we'll get to. But the by the way, I should have asked you before we started this this show here. Are mm-hmm. we doing all of the Batmans now? Uh, which answer do you want to hear? <laughs> I don't know. Just tell R- me. Riddle where me to, this. Just Dan. tell me when and where to show up, and you know what do I wear, or whatever the phrase well, is. I mean. Look on the bright side. If we do all the Batman movies, it really cuts down on that awkward conversation we have on Mondays where we try to decide what we're doing for the week uh, because your life will be planned out. Downside, you don't like any of these movies. Um, So, you know, it's uh, six of one, half dozen the other. Well, I mean, it's not that I don't like... Are we going to go like all the way through Nolan and then Affleck? Like, oh my God, that's a lot of Batman. Uh, You know... We can we can be selective. We can discuss it. We can break it up if we need to. <laughs> we'll have a sidebar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sidebar, uh, Your Honor. You just you really just you really want to get to the Schumacher stuff, yeah? Uh, I was thinking about it. I mean, I've been thinking about the the Joel Schumacher Batman movies since uh, he unfortunately uh, passed away uh, relatively recently, and uh, they weren't available to watch for that time period. Uh, on uh, the HBO Max platform because they didn't have the rights to Batman uh, at the time. Um, but uh, I was thinking about it. I was thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if we could all talk about that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Would it be great? 
I don't know. It depends. Mm. Uh, like, how, how are you going to be this obstinate about talking about it? <laughs> or are you going to be more forgiving? I don't know if you find those movies to be sillier enough that you uh, enjoy watching those more than you enjoy watching these ones, which you deem to be not as silly. <laughs> I mean, I think it goes without saying that once you get to forever, the 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 clownish silliness of it all is is paramount. Like, there's there's nothing else to it other than the absurdity. So I, I don't think there's any attempt at seriousness. I was I was struck in in the reviews here by people saying that this this was uh, viewed as kind of a dark, uh, serious entrance to the uh, the franchise of the Batman, and uh, I don't. I mean, aside from the cinematography and the fact that everything's gray, I don't find this to be very dark at all. Well, I think again, you have to judge it against its peers. Uh, yeah, what were its peers before anything came out? Because not this is. I mean, is this is this the the origin of the the modern superhero franchise movie? Basically, because you had Superman. Uh, what was that? Nineteen seventy nine. That's right. Um, and then the Superman sequels that came after it uh where they got progressively fluffier and uh thriftier so that they could funnel money towards other things but uh i guess this would have been seen as a fairly stark contrast against superman yeah yeah i mean you compare those two things uh there was also a supergirl um in the mid 80s and i don't i can't i'm struggling to recall any other major superhero feat that occurred in that time period uh, and then you had this Batman movie, followed by Batman Returns, uh, followed by your Batman Forever, followed by your Batman and Robin, and mm. that kind of kaputted uh, what was going on with superheroes until you had uh, X-Men and Spider-Man, and then the <laughs> sort of rejuvenation of Marvel things that brought superhero stuff back to uh, relevance and then it went to nolan um and all of the nolan stuff and, and that's, then that's when things got gritty yeah and then extremely into the mcu stuff so you had gritty nolan and you had um the lighter winkier um mcu stuff and then you had the nolan isn't serious enough for me Zack snyder super serious <laughs> <laughs> DC stuff that happened. Mm. Um, well, okay. So let's just in terms of grabbing a, a handle on this this topic here. Um, the, this movie obviously is very Tim Burton. How do you feel about Tim Burton, and particularly, I suppose, this era Tim Burton? I personally, I feel like Batman Returns is kind of like the height of Tim Burton's powers in the Tim Burton one era, and then you know some things happened later when we had screens that were green, but uh, how, how do you feel about Tim Burton of this era? I don't particularly enjoy Tim Burton films. Um, mm. I, he's, he's He has a lot of Danny Elfman, and you like Danny Elfman, don't you? I mean, I like Danny Elfman, although I will also <laughs> say that I like Danny Elfman of this era. Um, mm. I feel like Danny Elfman uh, peaked here and Planet of the Apes, and then Spider-Man, and then everything went downhill. Um, but having said that, uh, for Tim Burton himself, I don't particularly enjoy his films because I find that he is not very good with character a lot of the time. <laughs> and he is also very bad with directing action. He 
can set up something clever about sh- uh, uh, the way a shot is designed and how you move through a specific shot. But then when you try to thread that together as part of a scene where action is occurring, you realize you have no sense of geography for what is happening. Yeah, that was another thing that maybe, maybe I guess some of it does land on Tim Burton and not just the era because the action it, I, I'm watching it and it's just like it, this, this parts of it feels like Adam West level of just like, we don't know how to make this seem like a real fight or real dramatic or real fast or real serious. Like, you know, you can tell some of these stunt cars are sliding around at half a mile an hour and it's just like not exciting. Yeah. I mean, you also have to think again about what the standards were for the time period that this is being oh, for done. Sure. Um, that, that's typically where I lay that particular criticism. But since you brought up, his inability to direct action. I figure maybe it is partly related to him. Yeah. I I mean, the scale of action, I think I would separate from his ability to establish geography, um, in a scene, mm. uh, which, uh, I, I think are pro- different problems. Um, like I think he can, uh, I think the scale of what he's trying to do is appropriate for the era that he's doing it in. Um, you know, you got your big bat plane scene with the balloons and stuff. Now it looks <laughs> sillier by today's standards, of course, but, uh, by the standards of the time period, it, you know, it, it, it was something that was fairly large scale for what, uh, was happening, but you had, uh, the other stuff like, uh, the Acme chemical plant. Um, I think specifically, I really like that scene in general, um, but if you watch it, you realize that you don't have a sense of where anyone is inside of that chemical plant. And you mm. could argue that um, it is purposefully to to uh, make the audience feel like they are uncomfortable and uh, that everything is disorganized and chaotic and nobody really knows where anyone else is in the scene. And that's how you are supposed to feel as the audience observing this. I would argue that I would like to have more of a sense of where everyone is in relation to everyone else when they are threatening one another. Um, uh, particularly later on when, uh, Jack Napier gets to that weird catwalk where he can threaten commissioner Gordon and then, you know, other stuff happens and then he falls into the vat of chemicals. Um, those are all things that happen shot to shot to shot, but I would say that we don't really necessarily have like a good sense of what the environment is. Um, I would agree to that. I I felt like there was a fair amount of like, we're in wides and then all of a sudden we're in these like neatly composed close-up shots, but I have no idea how we got from one to the other because they don't seem to fit together in any way. Yeah. Um, having said that, uh, I, you know, I, I still enjoy some of the shot design in there. Like, uh, when they're going up the stairwells and somebody else is going down the opposite stairwell, when you see, uh, Michael Keaton in the Batman costume, like going through some section of smoke fog stuff uh, from one <laughs> area like to another. In the opening where he like slowly lowered himself down while those two guys were sitting behind the little short wall divvying up the money. Um, I, I think unfortunately <laughs> that that hasn't aged super well and it feels a little hokier than I think that they perhaps were going for at the time. It didn't feel particularly ominous. No, no, I, 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 I did not feel like, fear was struck into my heart in particular, <laughs> but it's, it, it, I mean, it, it's tough because, you know, you're, you, I'm struggling to measure it against the, the ruler of 1989 and the ruler of 2020, um, for like what everything should be. 
but uh, I, I would say that I've never I've never found the opening to this to be particularly ominous or fearful. Um, I don't I don't find Michael Keaton as Batman lurking around to be <laughs> as scary as I think that they were going for. I no. find him mainly to be uh, ill-equipped to move in the suit. Um, yes, which, that's what I wanted to get to next. Yeah. Go ahead. I, which apparently is, you know, of course, the case is that it was very hard to move in that suit, and he didn't <laughs> like to do it. <laughs> which, yeah, they kind of made a point of in uh, the Nolan ones where he complained about how hard it was to move, and then they got him a fancy modern suit. But yeah, um, the neck doesn't move, which no. clearly is an issue for him. Um, he's drowning in cape, which, in addition <laughs> to making him uh, sort of flap around everywhere he goes so he doesn't trip over it, he just he looks like somebody who put on their parents bathrobe and is walking around the house well um, he does have both of the bathrobes to put on if he wants to yeah but it's just like it's too big it's too big it's made of neoprene rubber or whatever and he just he looks like a small child who's wearing an adult's clothes and uh he's having difficulty moving around um and uh you know yeah part of it is part of it is the moving and part of it is just the scale he looks small and he's not threatening. Um, and I, I, you know, I have to say that's I, one of the downsides of casting Michael Keaton. Um, is he, is he short? I don't believe he is uh, a man of uh, particularly high stature. Uh, how 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 tall is Michael Keaton? I don't actually know. Mm. Alexa, Michael how tall Keaton. is Michael Keaton? <laughs> it's it's blue, but it's not answering. Oh. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for that. Well, we'll that was technology. All right. You know, you got to judge it against the technology of its time. You're right. Uh, which apparently could have made a car stop. But uh, so he's five foot nine. Okay. So that's yeah. not tall, but he's, I mean, he's, he's, he's average sized. Uh, Dan, how tall are you again? I'm 5'11". <laughs> okay. <laughs> just checking. I'm taller than Michael Keaton, apparently. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's, it's just, you said that like somebody who is you know, the five foot nine to five foot 11 range. <laughs> Isn't average height like five foot eight, five foot nine? Yeah. 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 Uh, he's, he's a very average person. I don't know. It's just when you're talking about fat man, I kind of picture someone taller, um, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to give it away. Like if you're mm-hmm. you give know, it away, six, give it away seven, now. Yes. If you're like six, seven and 300 pounds of ripped muscle and you're like, hello, I'm Bruce Wayne and I barely fit in my tuxedo. Everyone's gonna be like, well, clearly you're Batman. But if you're Michael Keaton and you have a double breasted suit over top of a wool knit uh, vest uh, over top of your shirt and tie, <laughs> um, you know, you seem fairly non-threatening until you make the crazy eyes and uh, with a, a fireplace poker and you, you stick a little serving tray inside your shirt but um i mean there there's one thing i'll give michael keaton is that um he does a lot of acting with his eyebrows um mm-hmm. which are some really arched pointy eyebrows uh wh- where he can uh do a lot in a scene without saying much or he can even act against what he's saying by doing something weird with his eyebrows uh which is interesting but the suit itself covers up his eyebrows, so you take away one of his his key acting skills and uh, his his ability to communicate with the audience whenever you do that. Um, so I feel like a lot of his Bruce Wayne scenes actually work better than his Batman scenes um, hmm. because he seems like a more personable uh, 
thoughtful person. Personable, thoughtful person. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, that's a great way to describe it. Let's talk about his Bruce Wayne scenes mm-hmm. because um, this movie does uh, something that I think is in most Batman movies, that which shows Bruce Wayne in his natural habitat of rich folks and gallows or whatever, throwing parties in his home where he's vaguely disinterested because, you know, all of this is just for show. Um, and, and I think Michael Keaton does a good job of sort of like trying to play against character, you know, the whole like, I don't think I've ever been in this room before and you want to go have casual dinner in the uh, the kitchen with Alfred and we can talk about whatever the hell they were talking about and, and be casual. But I, I, I don't see him playing into the character when it's good for his cover. Like he almost never seems like he is, uh, he's fitting in, in that crowd at all. Like he's walking around his casino night or whatever, but, uh, nobody gives a crap about him. Nobody's being deferential to him really, uh, for being the host, for being this rich person, even to the point where, um, you know, uh, henchman number one for the Joker says, you know, Vicky Vale's dating some dude named Wayne. So, like, he's not like a known guy, apparently, in this version of the Batman universe, which it's a I, little I, strange because they also had that scene where Vicky asks, like, why there aren't any photos or information on Bruce Wayne in the file that they keep uh, in the newspaper room on, on Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he's an underground billionaire who nobody knows anything about, but also he's just some unassuming dude. Yeah, I liked Bruce Bray. Bruce Wayne better when he was underground. <laughs> Literally in his cave. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I'm going to type that down mm-hmm. while you, you give you the rest of your thoughts. Yeah, but uh, he's... He, I, I, will, I will say one of the positive things about Christian Bale's Batman is that he plays the Playboy Bruce Wayne cover part uh, very well, and he plays... Yeah. Plays Especially that at, sort of like the um, almost reckless kind of drunk, like uh, like bad mouthing his friends, but they'll still be his friends because they're all rich assholes. Kind of Bruce Wayne. Yes, he he can excel at that stuff. Whereas I feel like Michael Keaton has this awkwardness in all aspects. Um, it's like a goth billionaire who likes turtlenecks. Which, considering the director. Um, <laughs> Do you think Bruce Wayne was modeled after uh, Tim Burton? No, I mean, I don't think that Bruce Wayne in particular was modeled after Tim Burton because the few times that I've seen Tim Burton in person, um, he had a very faded black silk uh, shirt, um, like almost like blousey. Uh, it was too large for him and very ill-fitting, but he had obviously owned it since, I don't know, the 90s, 80s. Um mm he's a very weird guy uh with a very weird sense of style but he also I, wears sunglasses at uh inappropriate times right he, i think there are many photos of him on on movie red carpets with sunglasses if i'm not mistaken yeah. but he's 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 a peculiar man yes uh but i i don't know that tim burton himself gave michael keaton the direction hey just be like me that's that's what i want you to do like i don't think that's what happened i think that just naturally through the course of dialogue between the two of them, uh, they landed on what it is we see here. And it's just not that surprising when you consider the director involved, I suppose. Um, but we, we haven't talked about one of the, uh, the linchpins, I think, of this movie, which is uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker, um, mm. Jack Napier. And uh, I think that for me, uh, he is what makes the movie. And that if you did not have Jack Nicholson in this movie, uh, and it was just a movie about uh, Bruce Wayne being really awkward around Vicky Vale um, and occasionally being a Batman who handed her some files and then, uh, like, 
I don't know, slipped her a Mickey or whatever it was where he like knocked her out to dump her on her bed like that, like that weird stuff. Like you just be focusing on that. But instead you get to focus on uh, this sort of delightfully odd character um, of uh, Jack Nicholson as as the Joker. Uh, he's not doing the Cesar Romero thing. He does have the sort of cackle um, th- that uh, you might expect from that sort of thing, but uh, he has a uh, incredibly Jack Nicholson way of doing everything, um, where it's not so much that he is the Joker as much as the Joker is Jack Nicholson. Um, mm. You know? So yeah. I think that he had a lot of fun, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and watching this uh, again, in, in you know, with the passing of time, and you learn more about it, one of the things I couldn't get out of my head while watching this was, you know, Nicholson after uh, Heath Ledger passed, talking about how he pulled him aside and sort of said, like, you know, this character is really bad for your psyche, and it'll send you into some dark places, and you got to be careful with it. And I'm watching Jack Nicholson in this movie, going, "What the hell are you talking about? At what point were you in some sort of?" uh deep personal psychological torture here because you just look like you're you're having fun you're throwing paint against stuff you're just laughing and being weird yeah i i don't know necessarily how true that particular thing is that he said that to Heath Ledger uh, but you know he looks like he's he having claims fun he said it he claims he i mean he he's we can't trust an actor at their word who can we trust yeah i don't know uh, but he 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 uh he is definitely having fun on screen. That's, that's for sure. I don't know if like Mm. there's tons and tons and tons of outtakes of him being like, Oh, this is terrible. I'm having an awful day. But uh, it is very, he probably probably had a lot of fun because he doesn't get to do that. Like this is when I said, like, it's kind of surprising that they got him to do some of this stuff. It's like, yeah, Jack Nicholson is wearing white face paint with a giant weird smile and running around and dancing and throwing paint on stuff. Like that's, kind of crazy that they got him to do that and it's you know interesting to watch but at the same time i'm like what does any of this have to do with the movie well it has to do with the movie because it's the joker sure he's uh chaotic evil or whatever right <laughs> he knocked over that uh that statue in the art gallery yeah i mean he's he is a uh, it's tough to, it's tough to do the joker i think and i feel like the joker uh, it's a uh, character that they have relied too heavily on in both the comics and in media about the comics. Uh, because now we seem sort of saturated with the everyone's take on the Joker, especially post-Keith Ledger, um, where there was also a lot of stuff that was written in the comics and a lot of stuff in other media where it's all like the sort of like weirdo... Um, like super uh not funny stuff uh where people are going to that area like jared leto and stuff and it's oh didn't he mail people dog turds yeah he did a bunch of he did a lot, a lot of bad stuff uh <laughs> he's twisted and wild and mm-hmm. evil yeah and whereas you know you look at this and he's not that he is unhinged in what he wants and has no inhibitions or restrictions um, that he feels about uh, expressing that. Uh, Mm. But it comes off in a different way. He is not, he is not tortured um, specifically. He is, uh, he's had some sort of a break with everything after uh, an incident has occurred in his life. 
And, and part of what's weird about the the Joker in this one, it, it gets buried for me as it does in a lot of movies because you know it's it, it the, the plot often becomes subtext to what you're actually watching. If you're if you're just sort of like writing down on paper what the Joker is doing, like he killed the head of his crime family mob boss, he took over for him. He killed all of the other heads of the families, and he is now the head crime boss for Gotham. Um, he's been you know in a weird quirky way killing a bunch of people with poisoned uh beauty products which is weird but like whatever uh and then when that plan gets thwarted he just decides to like wander the streets with a parade murdering people with poisonous gas which if you look at it like that way it's like all right he's fairly screwed up and he's he's just like what is his goal what is his motivation he just wants to like cause chaos and kill people but when the vast majority of that uh sort of takes a back seat to Jack Nicholson smiling and dancing in a purple suit. It 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 gets a little confusing when you mix the two things together. I will say that he has he has a overall plan because the movie needs him to, but the things that he's doing in these specific scenes don't always move along what it is that he was hoping to do. Um mm. particularly when it comes to Vicky Vale. Uh that that all seems nonsensical if you actually like were to analyze like what he is doing in those specific scenes because he has no he saw knowledge. A picture of her and he thought she was cute that's it yes he he saw a picture of her um again in a scene where he asks his henchman who it is uh and the henchman who is taking photos knows not only that her name is vicky vale but that she is dating bruce wayne Something that has occurred probably a day prior to this event. <laughs> well, Vicky Vale loved him from the moment she saw him. So clearly uh, they irradiate uh, relationship status. Yeah, I sure. Um, and, and this is pre-social media, even in its weird. Uh, right. They couldn't change their Facebook status to no, in a relationship. Not well, in their weird uh, in the case of Michael Keaton. Art Deco 80s style way. They couldn't do it. Uh, but I I don't know. Maybe he planted something in the evening post that they were going steady the day before. Um, but mm. they uh, they they have this uh weird interaction where Joker decides that he is going to make her the object of his affection, and he arranges very elaborate, increasingly elaborate and strange plans to uh try and like get to her and to win her over. Um even though that isn't really necessarily how he's operating about anything else. Uh, because when she, she's able to escape because Batman in one scene, and then in another scene where uh, Jack Nicholson has invaded her apartment, he just leaves. Um, and she's left to her own devices. But then later on, he also abducts her again uh, to take her to the top of Gotham's only 50-story Balsa Tower. Um, <laughs> it is weird the the way that he kind of goes through this if he is actually interested in her in some way because some of this seems to be motivated um, uh, in ways where he is going to, like, kidnap her and then in other ways it seems to be I want you to love me. Um, yeah. And Come over to the dark side, see the value of what I'm doing. We're both artists. Can't you see that we're, you know, similar and I want you to take up the mantle of my disfigured girlfriend that jumped off of the roof or whatever. 
Yeah, can't make a few omelets without breaking. Wait, can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Um, that's how he describes her death. Uh, but yeah, he he's he's a mess. Uh, I still find what he's doing on screen engaging, even when it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, because mm-hmm. he has so much energy in what he is doing that uh, you can't help but pay attention to what's happening. There's one scene in particular where. Uh, I think it's after one of the news broadcasts or something where they say, like, this is uh, how to, like, avoid the conflicting chemicals that kill people, um, where it's on the Joker's TV, and then he pushes a button and a boxing glove punches his TV, which the boxing glove was set up on, like, a tripod on the coffee table, so it was clearly just there ready to blow up the TV, and then he he, he has a few lines with henchman number one with the hair, and then he, he blows one of those little party favor things that extends out and makes the whistle noise and then that's the whole scene and it's like um yeah yeah he he says this town what? needs an enema and then that that's that's what he says like that's the and then he just blows on the blows on the little the little thing party yeah. party favor and that's and the end the of the scene over. and then yeah. like i can just i can just hear the people behind the camera going cut that was great let's move on and it's like what did you just do why why did why is that there? I mean again, you got the energy, you got the silliness, you got mm-hmm. the Joker, you know, cutting up photos of people and making dioramas or whatever at the kitchen table, but it's uh like I get that the Joker is crazy and weird and a lot of it's entertaining to watch, but at a certain point I just don't know what I'm looking at anymore. <laughs> and maybe maybe that's again, uh, you know, not the benefit, but the detriment of hindsight, I guess, uh that I know that there's more here. Uh, well, okay. So here's here. Let me ask you a question. So, um, this movie has an origin story for the Joker and not for Batman. Really, I guess you know they explain uh, a little bit of the Batman origin. This movie, this movie goes to great lengths to explain Batman's origin and tie it specifically to the Joker, uh, which is well, in like a microfiche. Yeah. That's how they explain Batman's history, and then and then a flashback dream sort of thing. Yeah, with uh, the young actor who creepily looks an awful lot like a young Jack Nicholson, I guess. Yeah, Hugo Blick. Uh, I was just looking him up. But when I say they don't have a Batman origin story, like, the okay, in this movie, the Joker kills Batman's parents, and uh, that connects them together. And ba- Batman's parents being murdered in the streets. Oh, of oh you mean they don't have a story about how he put on a, a bat costume? There's there yes there's nothing that goes from five year old Bruce Wayne to I put on a suit and drive around in all of these vehicles beating up bad guys. Yeah yeah this is not a A to bat to C story. (laughs) Yes Uh, I don't know how and why and when he decided to be this person. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say something controversial here. I think it's actually wise to not explore the motivations that specifically resulted in the to-do list of I am going to dress up like a bat and have a cave with a car in it that is bat-themed. Um, you, you think it was a better choice to explore the reasons why the Joker is the Joker? Like, at least, you know, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker comes out of nowhere and he's just full chaos. So we don't we don't want to have any knowledge of that. And they go to uh, specific lengths in that story to say, like, yeah, this guy has no trace of a life um but we see how bruce wayne became batman because of his training and blah 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 and all that other stuff but like uh, we did a lot of it for the joker here with his his mobbiness and his backstabbedness with the mob and falling in the 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 chemicals that um, whatever but 
you, you think it's better that we don't know anything about Batman? I personally think that uh, it's it gets a little silly when you start to really break down <laughs> why a grown adult man who has a ton of money lives in his mansion by himself with his butler who raised him from childhood and who he talked into letting him make an underground lair for his superhero alter ego that is bat-themed um, and then goes out in the night to right wrongs uh, of pickpocketers and muggers. Um, like <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You wouldn't want some justification or background or no, I mean, at the very I, minimum to see him enjoying some other portion of his life? I feel like none of these things hold up to great scrutiny and I feel like that is something that I don't enjoy about Batman Begins um, mm. which, you know, depending on how you feel about these things we may get to someday. Uh, it It is uh a little weird to explore that where everything has to have a justification and a logic to it Mm. um, where you need to have a symbol and that needs to be the bat and you need to have uh, the technology that is appropriated from, from Wayne uh, tech and that needs to be rebranded as your technology and you need to like go through those steps. Whereas with this it's just like, yeah, sure. He had a bunch of people, somehow dig this cave underground and it has this tunnel and stuff sure why not um i can i can believe it you prefer that the batman is a given i i prefer to not think about that part of the story too much because i feel like that's not really the part that matters i feel like the part that matters is about the 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 morals and the character of like what you're going to do with the power you have to help the people you can help um Mm. Now, of course, you can also make an argument that uh, these movies should maybe be about uh, Bruce Wayne donating large sums of his money and how he yeah, participates. I was going to say next. Yeah, he, he participates in local events and community uh, awareness uh, about about getting people out to vote. Uh, like he, Bruce Wayne goes about this in probably the most um, I have everything I need kind of a way uh, of solving problems. Uh, this is the most it's like, solving the city's crime issues with uh, one punch to the face at a time. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't scale. It, it is purely for his own personal catharsis. It is it doesn't doesn't help anyone else. Yeah. Uh, and one of the other things I was reading in, in the background here about sort of Tim Burton describing uh, the movie and why he enjoyed it. He, I think he used the phrase like battle of the freaks or something because they're both clearly two very uh disturbed people coming at uh coming at each other from the different sides that batman is towards this radicalized vigilante and obviously the joker is chaotic mobster killer person but they're both sort of on the fringes of society and they're just kind of doing their own thing um i i don't know that does batman in this movie feel particularly sort of like uh like loose end or kind of wild out there whatever he's doing like there are moments in uh the nolan franchise where you really i mean and they hit it really hard if you watch any of those movies more than once uh how he is making an active choice to defy the law to become the symbolic bad guy in the eyes of the law because they he can do what they can't even if their goals are similar Uh, in this movie i don't know that i get any of that do you no, I would say that this is not about Batman versus the police um, and about him being ostracized in any way or uh, how he's unwelcome. In, in fact, this movie ends with the police 
installing a bat signal um, so yeah. that they can summon him. Uh, whereas earlier in the film, they thought, you know, hey, this is messed up. <laughs> There's this guy <laughs> who's uh, dumping uh, Jack Napier into chemicals and stuff. We 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 need to like apprehend him. Um, yeah, I guess this is all, this movie also sort of makes it seem like maybe the cops have heard rumors about Batman for a little while, but they've never seen him with their own eyes. And Commissioner Gordon sees Batman for the first time at the chemical plant, and then it becomes official. So again, I I sort of ask like, when did Bruce Wayne decide to put on the costume and become the Bat? I just. For me, that doesn't interest me because I'm just like, yeah, it's Batman. It's this guy who is Batman and he's going to be Batman now. I, like one of the things that I don't like about the Spider-Man movies, um, the many Spider-Man movies, there are several of them. <laughs> they started over and every single time they had an origin story and it is annoying because at a certain point, you don't need to know how Peter Parker got bit by a radioactive spider and then did something that resulted in Uncle Ben dying and then deciding <laughs> that he is going to protect people now because, you know, he has, he, with great power comes great responsibility. And right. you don't need to repeat that three times. Um, mm. And I don't feel did, like you need Tom, that with Tom Batman. Tom Holland didn't get uh, an origin, did he? Who, who didn't get an origin? Tom Holland? Oh, uh, no, he, he did not get an origin. Um, but, uh, you had origins for uh, Andrew Garfield, and you had origins for uh, um, uh, Toby. Yeah, I was going to say horse guy. Um, <laughs> he, they, By the way, you, you brought up Spider-Man, and I I don't know what triggered it in my head. Maybe it's just a little bit of Burton and Raimi being uh, 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 co-workers of a certain time. Um, but part of this movie did give me uh, Raimi Spider-Man 1 vibes. I don't know if you felt any of that stuff. Yeah, I think that Tim Burton, um, while I was dinging him for his action chops, like he can establish uh, a a pretty good mood about something that is unsettling or uh, unnatural or unnerving in, in some regard. And like one of those scenes that I think works really well is when they're doing the evening news. and uh there is the the lady who's you know turning it over to the other male anchor and the male anchor is uh trying to get through the news and she starts cracking up and it's it starts to get a little unhinged and then she falls over and her face is in a rictus of a smile um like i i feel like that works well and you're cutting in terror to the people in the booth not understanding what's going on thinking that she's just you know laughing inappropriately um, I, I feel like that kind of thing works well. Um, and there are other instances of that in here uh, where you you can you, you can get at that sort of faintly horror-esque vibe of things. Um, and for Raimi, I think that he does the best job of that in Spider-Man 2 um, with the, the Doc Ock scene where he the doctors are trying to remove the tentacles and then it's just like yeah. full, full horror movie. Did you watch that clip uh, on Twitter the other day when it was going on? Yeah, somebody posted that again, and I was just like, yep, horror movie. That was a really good scene, too. Yeah, I, I mean, if you really break it down, that scene doesn't make any sense. Like, when the <laughs> one nurse is being dragged away into the, the deepest, darkest shadow that's in the, the, the operating room, the operating yeah, the, room <laughs> and, like, her nails are scraping the linoleum off the floor, um, mm-hmm. it is it is it it doesn't make any sense. Like, that wouldn't happen, but, uh, like, the, the scene is set up really well to establish that that terrifying horror mood um mm-hmm. and uh, i feel like 
I think that's what you're getting at here is that uh, Tim Burton can can do some of those same sorts of things. And like uh, the scene with the doctor waking up uh, Jack Napier for the first time, who's all bandaged, and they're trying to take the bandages off, and then he like shoves the doctor out of the way because he's going to do it himself because he's going to rip it off faster. And there's just that one dangling little light bulb over this, and the doctor is trying to apologize for like what he has to work with, and everything just looks horrifying about it. Like those, those bloody instruments that are on the table and uh, all you hear is laughing and the silhouette of Joker as he smashes that bulb and then wanders up the stairwell laughing and it's just echoing as he, as he goes off into the distance. Uh, the doctor is just sort of terrified about it. Uh, I think that that, you know, sort of thing works really well. It's, it's vaguely horror esque. Um, where you you are you are really having a control on the mood that you're trying to establish with what you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, and and I, I I approve of that as much as I ding him for the the other actiony things. Yeah, I think one of the other things about this movie and uh, the next one as well, I probably mentioned it a little bit already, and I'm not trying to continually bash on it, but I think after the success of these first two Batman movies. Uh, Tim Burton's world of Batman was was turned into what Universal Studios or Six Flags or whatever the hell it was uh, to the point that it it feels like a kid's like theme park now watching some of it. And I feel like, you know, it loses a little bit of an effect uh, years on now when it's just sort of like you've seen it in the daylight and it's not just uh, art art department stuff, which was. Very interesting for the time, but now it's just like, eh, it's that again. Yeah. Well, it's interesting the way that these Batman movies go, because you had this first one, which was not supposed to be a big hit, but then it was a huge hit. And then you had the second one, which they pinned all their hopes, the executives pinned all their hopes and dreams on, but gave Tim Burton the runway um, to do what he wanted. (laughs) And that was an enormous mistake, because no one was happy with that. Um, And then uh, Tim Burton you know, turned it over with his blessing to Joel Schumacher. And at that point, um, they didn't even want to make toys for Batman Forever because they thought that it was going to, you know, maybe not do as well. They thought it was at most going to do as well as Batman Returns. But then that was a huge success and people loved it. Um, And then it got weird again because then they went back (laughs) to try to do the same thing and they sort of doubled down on weirdness and they wound up with a Batman and Robin. And so Mm. you had this weird up and down, I feel like, with the the quality of these things and the separation of directors. And then after that, you you completely sever everything until the Nolan period. Yeah. Um, Well, that's interesting. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll get into it because we're going to end up watching all these things. But um. What about it was uh, on Batman Returns? What about it got away from them? Because to my recollection, it just feels like more of the same. Like there's more bad guys and stuff, and it's bigger and more more Burton. But like, how did it really get away from them? Let's talk about that next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, I mean, I guess in the context of this movie, what what do you think this movie? Uh, shortchanged and could have used more of aside from I don't know like there's no way they could have predicted that Batman was going to become what it became even you know throughout all of the decades but like what do you think they, they, they should have leaned more into on this movie well 
there's no way for them to have known what they should have leaned into at the time. You know, hindsight, 2020, etc. Uh, like, they, they, they did the best that they were going to do with what they had. I feel like the adjustments that they should have made are maybe things that they probably wouldn't have considered back then, like tightening up the opening of the movie. Um, and <laughs> the pacing of movies has changed dramatically since the late 80s. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that really takes you back whenever you watch something from this time period where it's just like, wow, this is slow for like the first 20 to 30 minutes. And it's like, well, that's just kind of how all of these movies of this time period were. They were very you slow. Um, I also forgot that the opening of this movie, like, I thought it was the 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 Wayne family origin story, and when that family is there trying to hail a cab, I'm like, wow, Thomas Wayne's kind of a punk and whiny. Like, what's going on? It's like, <laughs> oh no, 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 wait, never mind. And this is different. I remember where we are now when I saw the the bad shadow drawing. Yeah, they, they, it's just there to throw you off because it's an echo of what what made him the person that he is. Um, but it is not literally the thing that made him the person that he is. It's not like he went back in time and did this, and you know. Back to the Future style. Uh, I think he hangs out outside every opera showing of uh, <laughs> every play or whatever that's going on on Broadway, just to make sure that nobody ever gets mugged or something. Well, I mean, how many how many possible opera showings could there be in Gotham? But uh, yeah, he 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 may. Um, he didn't seem to intercede on their behalf when the mugging had occurred. Uh, so I don't know how he found these muggers afterwards. Yeah. But, and and again, in, in that particular scene, his mission is less about protecting the people and more about striking fear into the hearts of the criminals such that they lose the desire to commit crime or just go commit crime in some other city. Yeah, because he harasses them, but neither of them are turned over to anyone. And the stolen wallet isn't recovered um, from the criminals. So, what did he do exactly, other than <laughs> s- strike fear into, you know? Well, yeah. what would you say you do here, Mister Batman? <laughs> I, I mean, it's not—it's not very—it's not the most uh, efficient form of vigilante justice to, uh, you know, like get you know, like brand marketing um, out there. Uh, I guess uh, is what he's trying to do, uh, where he just wants people to like see the bat and think like Coca Cola or something. I don't know. Like he—he he is. <laughs> He he's not really like doing justice as much as he is like um you know getting everybody to like smash that like button. Um Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if he is a um an orphan vigilante with PTSD about his mur- his his parents being murdered, like maybe maybe his focus is uh it's warranted that it's primarily on the criminals and not so much the, the protecting of the innocent people that he just he gets tunnel vision when he sees the bad guys and he just wants to harass them but at the same time you would expect maybe his his reaction to be a little stronger than uh you know dramatic puffs of smoke and slowly lowering himself down uh by wire to a rooftop or something there's a lot of dramatic entry and exit in this pl- in this movie yeah, i mean it's about stagecraft, really. <laughs> You're talking about the filmmakers or the characters? You're talking about the characters. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, he 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 relies. Was, was one of the Joker's entourage his art director? Uh, I don't know. Um, but he had a curious group um, that accompanied him to many places in this film. Mm-hmm. They all had really cool, sort of like cop bomber jackets with like fuzzy collars and sunglasses. It's an interesting fashion choice. 
<laughs> I mean, it was it was the it's, late '80s. Yeah, it's style of the time. Um, but the uh, I do like that the Joker's outfits got progressively sillier and sillier. Like he was he was rocking the purple early, but then you know the shirts became rayon, the ties became bow ties, the vests showed up, the hat went from you know a hat to a fez to that like chef bag hat thing that he had going on like <laughs> chef hat is so silly <laughs> was it actually a chef hat it looked like a deflated chef hat made I, out of polyester i don't i do not i cannot possibly comprehend what the actual official term is for that style of hat but it does really look like uh, a chef's toque that's been deflated into mm. like a chef toque beret um and there are several yeah. berets in this film if you that's were watching right, the are. women in here yeah, uh, Vicky has like she has a big beret on, doesn't she? She has like a baggy one that like goes down to the back of her neck. Yeah, she has, she has probably the most severe fashion uh, of the bystanders in the film, um, mm. especially when uh, she's wearing that uh, that white wedding prom dress when she goes <laughs> to uh, Bruce Wayne's nighttime event um, mm. at his house, and I'm just I'm just looking at it and I'm just like. This is like 80s prom dressed, but it's it's all white and it's not shiny. So it's like 80s bridal gown, but it's like you're at a party at night. So prom bridal gown, like night party thing. Like, uh, could she not have done like, I don't know, the simple black dress? I don't, it doesn't. <laughs> well, she's an innocent through the majority of the film. That's why she wears white all the time. Uh, and then at the end, she has a black suit over a white shirt to, you know, to show that she's simple. She's on Batman's side. Yeah. Um, I mean, she does wear black at, at a few scenes in this film. So she has like a, like a, like a teal blue green thing at one point. Oh, uh, she gets could... drugged and thrown face first on her mattress. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, when they're at the, the art gallery, when she shows up for that, mm. she has a big white, like overcoat that gets taken off and then she has that weird uh like i don't know how to describe it other than like a teal pleated kimono robe (laughs) um dress it is very strange oh there's also this uh long sleeve short hem like dark green crushed velvet thing that she's wearing when the joker comes over to her apartment i'm just scrolling to the imdv photos (laughs) now just to look at all the the tragic costuming in this yeah well i i know that um, the costumes are by Bob, Bob Ringwood for everyone else. Um, but they had a separate costumer for Vicky Vale, but I don't remember the name of the customer, um, who, who was specifically tasked with her, but it, it is curious, uh, the choices that they made in regards to her. Um, the, scrolling through this just reminded me one other thing. I love, uh, her 80s style when we first see her with the gigantic glasses and the pulled back hair it's just so perfectly 80s like i work in a newsroom that it's great um she works for then, vogue right of course she was a <laughs> photographer um uh but then um where uh, and why 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 did we have to have you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses at the end there when the joker puts glasses on and batman punches it why did we have to have that because we just got silly at that point it was too much. It was it was one too many jokes and hats on the jokes and things. Well, do you, we've we've kind of like danced around the entire movie. Uh, do you want to? Do you want me to break down my specific problems with the ending? Oh yeah, sure, please. Okay, <laughs> if you got specific problems, let them out. So, I feel like the movie is not well served by the chase up the Gotham Cathedral. Um, it is too tall. Uh, there is 
so much stairwell stuff that we don't need that can be cut right out of this film. Um, they get to the top and a lot of the drama is that this place is poorly constructed and people can fall through the floor. There were henchmen up there who are one by one attacking Batman, um, which is not smart. Uh, and they get defeated. And the entire time, uh, Kim Basinger is being slung around, um, in a weird waltzing dance, uh, by Jack Nicholson around the periphery, um, with the, 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 uh, background behind them um you know what was that a psych um they're just like dancing back and forth and then eventually there's a fight between the joker and batman and the joker says you made me and then batman says no you made me you shot my parents and then the joker seems to realize that he has shot parents and then brings that up and says you can't just say that back to me (laughs) where at the same time he could have said like i i don't know like i could have done it like i don't know why he specifically remembered shooting parents but then they, uh, he knocks him over the edge, and they look over the edge, and they get pulled over the side, and now they're over the edge, and then he's dancing around, and it's like, great, finally, um, we can get the scene over with. But no, first he has to have the fake hand, where, why does he have the fake hand? <laughs> he has the fake hand, and then he does the, the, the other nonsense. He had the chattering teeth up above and the fake glasses, like you said, but he has, mm. um, uh, he reaches for the the ladder and he gets pulled up. Uh, but then Batman does the bolo onto the uh, gargoyle and onto the Joker's leg, and then that forces him to plummet to his death. And when he uh, is dead and being crowded around by the police, um, great shot design. And we look down at him, and Commissioner Gordon opens up his coat, and there is a laughing bag of stuff in his coat. Um, and that is what's causing the the cackle to emanate uh, from him, even after his death. Uh, I I don't feel like the the scene as constructed flows at a smooth pace. I don't feel like the the scenes need to be as long as they are to connect to this stuff. Particularly the cathedral stairwell stuff, I think yeah. is dreadfully boring. The henchman is unnecessary. I feel like they should really just cut to the chase at that point. <laughs> yeah, because the idea is uh, he's um unhinged and uh silly even in the face of a serious situation where he's finally confronting his nemesis but at a certain point it's like we get it we we understand who this guy is now you can you can move along yeah and the whole entire the whole entire reason why kim basinger uh vicky vale was uh, abducted by the joker is because she went to go see if batman was okay because his plane had crashed and the joker went to go see if he had killed batman so they rendezvous there and Nobody was inside the cockpit, and so she gets abducted, and then he drags her up the stairwell. And then a panel pops off some debris, and then Batman was behind it the entire time through the previous scene. Um, I don't know necessarily why that is beneficial, uh, that he allowed them to be abducted. And then, as you said, he stumbles and knocks over, like, 80 pews. Um, <laughs> and that alerts everyone to his presence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I agree that it's... Um drawn out and somehow it's like less tense and dramatic than a lot of the other stuff in the movie like i, I mean they, they had the opportunity to increase the tension and drama right up into the end here so we don't really know how this is going to play out but like you know when you got a batman and a and a love interest and a joker on top of a roof uh somebody's getting thrown off like mm-hmm. that's just we we, we know what's going to happen there so yeah and 
I mean, it's not like this movie hasn't thrown people off of things uh, in prior scenes, but the um, throwing Batman off of stuff is not something that necessarily, I don't know, the audience shouldn't necessarily be fearful of it because we've seen a number of times that he has a grappling hook um, yeah. that he can but use. Batman can't uh, glide and or fly. Mm. I mean, he can jump from high, uh, higher things than other people. And I can, I guess you can sort of like uh, cushion himself a little bit, but there's one point where like when they both use the grappling hook and when he asks Kim Basinger how much she weighs, which is really inappropriate. Um, well, it's just for the, the weight you know, he should know how much she weighs. I They've guess. been they, they were in bed together. Like, he didn't weigh her. He didn't before. like put her on a scale. Estimate, buddy. Um, <laughs> but like you know, it when, just seems when he, rude. He's not a carnival like weight guessing person. Less rude than asking her how much she weighs <laughs> in a, in the heat of the moment. But when he cuts her loose and she goes flying up the catwalk and he comes falling out, like he he falls into the pile of trash and conks his head and is like lays there for a minute. So he's not. He's not uh, immune to um, vertical deceleration. No. I still don't know where she got the camera from in that scene. Yeah, I'm, I was in her bag. I mean, uh, she... she Presumably something got cut out because when she wakes up from her, her drug-induced slumber, she grabs her shirt like she had stuffed the, uh, the film in like her bra strap or something. Uh, it notes that Batman took it from her. Um mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, the the camera with the the long zoom lens, the long zoom lens, and that enormous flash. Yeah, of course. Also, you know, turn the flash off. Just button right there. I mean, it's off by default, actually. So mm-hmm. you know, why'd you turn the flash on? It's not going to do any she, she, good it, from five stories up. No, she's a she's a a, a reporter, like a a, a photography photojournalist uh, like she should be able to know that the flash from five stories up is not going to be effective and yeah. photos always look better anyways if you don't turn on the flash on if you got a high iso um yeah. actually they were still saying asa back then okay so i guess <laughs> you know did you just well actually yourself about film I, stock? I just well actually myself about <laughs> film stock um so there are a lot of elements in this Batman movie that we will come to know and love in all of the Batman movies. Uh, you know, plot points, characters, underlying themes. Um, I, I, obviously, I think there are other movies that do some of these things better than others, at least to my own taste. Um, presumably when they knew how to like hone that for audiences and things. So um, I guess I'm not going to fault them for that because there's nothing to compare to. This is right out of the gate. And I, I wouldn't have predicted it to be as successful as it was. I guess it's good that it was because they got to sort of refine the Batman uh, formula as things went along. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I, it's not the worst Batman. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I mean, I like this on the, uh, like as a, as a full and complete thing. I, I, like I said, I, I don't ter- terribly enjoy the beginning or the end. Um, and oddly enough, I always forget, no matter what, that uh, Harvey Dent is in here, uh, played by Billy D. Williams. And yeah. I cannot for the life of me figure out why I always forget it, because every time, time I watch it, I'm always surprised. And I'm like, is that because he does nothing of consequence inside the film? Probably. But he is a prominently featured actor in here, and mm-hmm. the character of Harvey Dent is important, or would go on to be important. They just chose to not do the important stuff with him. 
Yeah. Uh, you know what? I always forget uh, watching this movie, and I had to be reminded again tonight, is that there are mimes in this movie. Yeah, the mime thing. <laughs> that, Interesting. That's, I think, where you can see the slippery slope of where Burton was going, where he completely fell off the cliff of the next movie. Well, I mean, the Joker did have, like, clown gang people themed stuff like he he, he was about the titular joker from the comics and things yeah he, he was he was using the theming things um so it's not horrible it's not completely unusual it, it is weird that no one reacted to a swarm of mimes um coming upon them at the steps of i don't know what was that city hall or <laughs> yeah whatever it was city hall slash i think probably the cathedral set that was rebranded yeah and so i i just mm. I, it's it's a little tough to buy the scene as it unfolds, um, but it is uh, it's not tough to buy that the Joker would have clown themed henchmen, um, which is I think a slightly different calculus that I have to put on it. Um, but the yeah, the beginning's a little slow, and first twenty minutes of this are pretty slow, and the introduction of Vicky Vale is not great, and I really don't like. Rob, what's his name? Um, Robert Wool. Robert Wool. Um, he's supposed to be awful, and he is awful, but mm. it's more than I want him to be awful. If that <laughs> makes any sense, like he—he's not someone I love to hate. He—he's someone I just don't like to see at all. Mm. Um, which I feel like is a different metric. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's pretty good as a uh minor league assistant baseball coach. Okay. It's Bull Durham, but mm-hmm. that's a role that suits him. I, I mean, leave it to you to stick up for him in a Kevin Costner movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He used to work at Sears, sold Lady Ken Moore's. Dan, Dan. <laughs> I like how I, I, I'm like, we should watch Batman movies. You're like, uh, this is so awful. And then we, we talk about Robert Wood. You're just like, he's the he was in Bull Durham, and he... And no, he... I, I didn't say he's the best. I said a, a minor league <laughs> assistant baseball coach is a role that suits him. I think that's actually a put down, if anything. Uh, <sighs> didn't he have his own HBO show? Was that him? I don't know. I don't know what he did. Uh, I just... Yeah, I didn't like was... him here. Um, he he was kind of a, a creepy friend-zoned guy uh, that I didn't care for. Um, yeah, he's... Uh... Newsroom guy who's always pining after Vicky, and she's mm-hmm. just like, "Nope, not today. I'm having dinner with Bruce Wayne." He's like, "Oh, Bruce Wayne, he's boring." Yeah, you were supposed to like me. I think you're getting too close to the story. Me, you were sitting at my desk with a newspaper, <laughs> not his. I'm the one who recognized you from your Vogue magazine. <sighs> yeah, that didn't. Make any sense. That was another one of those scenes where um I, I just through whatever eyes I'm watching this now, uh I, I just I feel like I'm sitting on the set watching actors act and that's not good. Yeah, I I have to say that uh her introduction to this film and to this world doesn't make any logical sense that's internally consistent with the rest of this film because uh she seemingly came to this city to work with him as a freelancer. At the Gotham Globe, uh, and and why? It, because she is interested in bats. 
She likes bats. She likes bats. And she's, she's weird and quirky. She likes bats. That's what she says to him. And that's what they do. Um, it's weird. And he just takes her up on that. But then he is constantly giving her crap about what she's doing and like what her assignments are. And she's not really reporting to anyone. He, she doesn't really report to him. Um, like when there's the final, uh, like city hall speech thing, debriefing thing where, um, commissioner Gordon, the mayor and Harvey Dent are going over, uh, how the city is safe. Now he, takes a break from his reporting on city hall to go over to her to ask her why she is not going to also be reporting on city hall at the same time as him. And she says, she's not going to. And then uh, she kisses him on the cheek and says, okay, goodbye. And then he makes it back over to the front of the crowd to ask some follow-up questions at the end of the scene. And it's just like, that's not really how that works. Journalism. It's interesting that somehow they managed to make Gotham City this like uh Manhattan scale rundown sort of retro futuristic place seem like it has a population of like 75 people. Yeah, I well, I don't think the correct me if I am wrong. I don't have the Wikipedia entry in front of me, but I'm assuming this was not a enormous budget for this. Oh, uh, good question. Budget estimated 35. That's not huge for the amount of art and props and nonsense they had to do here. Yeah, I don't. Let think... alone having Nicholson there. Yeah, I don't think they had the budget to do like big crowds for things uh, for this. Oh, yeah. Um, this is, you know, I think they did a lot. Uh, they did a lot with what they had, considering 35 million. Um, I particularly find the set for um. Uh, what's his name? Grissom, um, the the mob boss that mm. Jack Napier offs. Um, yeah, his office I think looks really good. Um, because <laughs> his office slash living room. <laughs> yeah, because they they uh they misted up the glass so that you couldn't really see the uh full scale painting of a city on the other side with one blinking red LED on top of a radio tower. Um. <laughs> Uh, and I and the uh, the like two Art Deco statues that were supposed to be on the outside of the building yeah. um, that you see through the glass. Like I feel like that uh, worked really well, um, so that you can see sharp, crisp through it. Um, you know, people could should play their strengths, which sometimes you know it's atmosphere uh, as yeah. opposed to uh, necessarily trying to show like complete fidelity and clarity of every little thing. Um, Although the, he's kind of like the the original um, minimalist hipster, and I guess Vicky, her apartment to a certain extent too, where you take this gigantic room and you put a desk like right in the middle of it facing the door, and you're like, this is my office now. Yeah, well, I think she's supposed to have what would have been a trendy loft at the time. Mm. Yeah, um, they're, they're both very open concept, aren't they? Yeah, and, I mean, uh, Jack Palance's... Um, Thing, I think was a little more living room office situation penthouse because um, he seems to live there as well as conduct all of his business meetings whereas hers is just her apartment but it is a a loft of sorts if she just moved to Gotham I don't know how she's affording any of this um, but I assume that it is very easy to get a converted loft in Gotham because everybody wants to get out of there um, 
Well, you know, it's it's a it's a 90% abandoned city since there's only 75 people living there. So you could just sort of take whichever open apartment uh, is available and you want. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting one of these days that they do like a, a Batman series that's like trying to convince people to move back to Gotham um, because everybody left because <laughs> they don't want any part of this. It's all nonsense. I mean, it's kind of what they're talking about with their bicentennial parade or whatever. They're like, ah, all the businesses and people oh, are going to come back as soon as we make this parade really fun and cool, uh, which is the parade is somehow $250,000 uh, in the red, and they haven't even gotten any supplies yet. So I'm not sure how that's possible. Well, Maybe you, just get, you get your contract. planning commission. Yeah. Your planning commission probably ordered a lot of sushi. Um, but the uh, that um, I think is modeled after like trying to clean up like Times Square in New York uh in the late 80s and 90s um mm. you're Did you're they throw a big uh time square party to celebrate the cleaning up yeah your your favorite uh favorite new york time period um but this is uh a little different these days when you're watching it and you're just like oh yeah sure just make everybody go do the thing like even if it's not safe that's great yeah let's look i'll, I'll go have a parade um yeah. yeah if we have a parade the uh people will see that it's safe mm-hmm. and then they'll come back and they'll all get murdered we're gonna send all of the children back to gotham public school and uh everything will be fine uh, <sighs> you just wear a mask over your eyes you'll be safe yeah well she did get a mask in the little box yeah it was pretty good mask yeah, too. urgent it filtered, it filtered out um purple gas did all those people pass out or did they die I choose to believe that they passed out, but it is a little <laughs> open-ended since we don't revisit what happened with them. It has... That older pe- couple probably suffocated in their cake. <laughs> death by cake. Um, it wasn't chocolate cake, but death by cake nonetheless. Uh, the, uh, uh, what did you think of um, how sparse that museum was? I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to make of the museum um there was some art in there that that appeared to have been replicas of things that I've seen before that are famous art pieces but at the same time I don't think I've ever seen a museum that has a restaurant on the balcony second floor area so uh it seemed more like a a casual private gallery or something slash uh installation inside of a cafe yeah, this did not read as a museum. Uh, they just didn't have the scope or scale for that. Uh, despite the amount of detail they seem to have put into the ornateness of the architectural features of the set, um, the the actual like function of this space is a little suspect because it's not like there's like wings coming off of here or anything. And mm. like the lobby where you get in and are admitted is basically a desk with one guy. Uh, and he just sort of waves you through and that is the, the, the sum total of it. But then with all the gigantic vents and fans, do you think Gotham is just like super duper humid? It could be, um, or it could be that they normally expect poison gas. So they try to like Mm. have a ventilation system that pushes air through constantly. Not a bad idea until somebody puts poison gas in the ventilation system. Yeah. Checkmate. Um, but the... (laughs) The amount of people in this space is a little suspect, as well as this restaurant being situated where it was inside of the gallery. Um, and I did think it was interesting to go with the choice of 
defacing the well-known art, but, uh, you know, it's a Rembrandt and some Degas, so how original was it? What what a loss it was, question mark. Mm. I don't know. He Really, he improved the art is what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With his, his pop art color and stuff. Yeah. What did you think of a uh, flesh-colored Jack Nicholson in these scenes? Oh, God. It is uh, horrifying. Um, which I guess is the point. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's... They didn't just, like, take the white makeup off of him and say, like, now you are in makeup, Jack Nicholson. No, they, like, caked on the thickest wrong color skin tone makeup on his face that, I mean, really highlights the whatever plaster of Paris mold they made his cheekbones out of. Um, And it is uh, unpleasant and uh, it just makes you uncomfortable on a lot of levels. I really don't like the appliances they use for his cheeks um, because you can see the uh, separation um, of the appliance in his upper lip uh, on either side of his upper lip. Uh, mm. It is a little strange looking uh, in some scenes more than others. Cause I guess I just couldn't keep it glued down while he's making facial expressions <laughs> and sweating a lot. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, flesh colored Jack Nicholson, I think works really well because it is incredibly unsettling. There's like, Something worse about seeing somebody who's supposed to have normal flesh tones when they're like <laughs> on top of something else that's unnatural. Uh, so I, I thought it worked well. Um, I even like the stuff where he is dabbing his forehead when after he kills um, uh, the the one mob boss with the electrocution stuff, and and he has that streak of white that shows through. Or mm-hmm. in this scene where uh, he's like, I'm melting, I'm melting. And he's, he's doing his uh, Wizard of Oz impersonation. And then he turns around and says, boo. And he's got the streaks of white um, underneath his human makeup. Um, so it looks, uh, you know, particularly interesting. Although it, it's also fun to see him um, when he is wearing this human flesh makeup uh, and addressing the citizens of Gotham. And he says that he's going to do this parade and that uh, he's, you know, taken his makeup off now. Um, and, you know, why doesn't Batman do it? Uh, Cause he's of course, <laughs> and he's of course lying because this is him putting on makeup over <sighs> a pure human. I, yeah. I, I like it. I like that. Yeah. This one here, uh, I guess this is the museum one where he's wearing his chef bag hat. Um, mm-hmm. This one looks real real bad like there are other ones where it looks less bad but um i think it's really because the hat is there and you don't see the the hair um the that's been dyed back to normal so you just have this abnormal shiny purple enormous shiny purple hat yeah mm-hmm. um yeah the streaky uh makeup is good uh you know again there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff Nicholson's doing here, and it would be a very different and probably worse movie without him doing those things. Uh, I just don't know how much what he's doing really contributes to the film itself. I would say it contributes because I think that it left an indelible mark on these sorts <laughs> of superhero films and what you can expect from a supervillain. Mm. Personality-wise? Personality-wise. Yeah. Very, I, I'm not going to. Cool yeah, I'm. I'm not going to say that. Uh, he 
set the bar, you know, like the standard, the gold standard, and that no one has topped it since then. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, yeah. like, for 1989, like, he established that this is how over the top you could be in these sorts of roles. And uh, to, you know, sort of reach out to the audience with your outlandishness. Um, yeah. I guess he has a little bit of the same problem that I think Keaton has in that, um, aside from the fact that he has a gun and he makes eyebrows at people, um, he's not particularly threatening in a seemingly violent way. He's he's uh, kind of a loose cannon and a little chaotic, but um, I don't know that if I were in a city like Gotham uh, and I saw this guy, I wouldn't be like, oh, crap, here comes the biggest mob boss in town, I'd be like, here comes another weirdo because we live in a town with lots of weirdos. Yeah. Although in Gotham, we haven't established that there has been a parade of supervillains quite yet. So far, everything <laughs> seems to, everything seems to be mob bosses. Yeah. Um, I feel like but like no, nobody, nobody's scary. No, no. And I mean, Jack Palance is a little scary um, as himself. Um, you're my number one guy like that that weird like intonation that he has when he's mm-hmm. talking at any point uh he he's a a presence um so i'm sure everybody was creeped out by jack palance uh but i don't think he rose to the levels of like uh horrible science ac- accident uh misfit kind of thing that you would expect yeah. for your batman yeah, stuff going the level forwards. of badness in this movie is a lot of you know mob money under the table for the cops to look away, or I guess in one of these instances for the cops to arrest and or accidentally murder um, Nicholson at the chemical fa- uh, plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a good framing device for that um, and establishing the animosity and why he would do those things. I didn't feel like they... I felt like it was logical when we were going from the stuff that we had established... Uh, who Jack Napier was prior to this to the stuff that establishes what the Joker does after this, Um, that that all makes sense in terms of uh, who he chooses to take his vengeance upon. Mm. And what hat he chooses to wear when he does it. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Well, Batman 1989, you were two hours and six minutes of Tim Burton. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Ringing endorsement. From Danster. It's not the kind of movie I'm going to watch a lot more of. Uh, I probably haven't seen it in 10 years. Uh, and when I do see it, it's because it was on TV. I don't know the last time I sat down and actually chose to watch this movie. Uh, it's probably going to be a while until I choose to do that again. But um, it is interesting to see the movie that, uh, you know, grabbed everyone's attention and launched the the massive franchise that it is. And, you know, launched a million uh, Target generic T-shirts with Batman logos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Your hot Batman. topics, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uh, your WalMarts. Mm-hmm. Your 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 Kmart. Do they still have Kmart's? I think so. Mm. Ours became a J.C. Penny and then went out of business. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good news, everyone. We're saved. We're going to be a J.C. Penny's. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I think it was actually empty for a couple of years before J.C. Penney bought the building. Uh, I'm surprised J.C. Penney was in a mood where they were expanding any of their businesses. 
seems like yeah. that was a bad idea. Yeah, there are no Sears. Mm-hmm. Wait. 1989, when uh, large chain stores could still rule the world. <laughs> when chain stores walked the earth. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. DNA, give us the tour. Uh.